0: I just think that if you are starting this journey or even if you're anywhere along this path and at all at any point it feels difficult, lean into that because that's where the beauty is. That's where the magic is. And, and we don't feel necessarily amazing once we've finished. It's like the joy and the beauty is in the creation. So if we can allow that creative phase, like when we we bring this to life, to just be as it is in this beautiful, creative expression of ourselves and of whatever wants to be made manifest, then that's where the joy is. That's where the beauty is, and that's where the magic is.
1: You're listening to Shirley Harvey, a children's book author and illustrator from Montreal, Canada, discussing her latest writing project, More Than a Best Friend. She's our guest today on the podcast. Shirley, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today.
0: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: And how's the weather today out in Montreal?
0: It's actually beautiful. It's uh, The sun is shining and it's about zero degrees, so that's like pretty tropical for Canadian winter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely sounds like it.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I'm actually from England originally, so I've only been here five years. Um, so the, the winters are still quite a shock every year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I've, I've lived in the Northeast most of my life and Canada still seems to be a, another level of winter.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
1: So, so Shirley, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me as a guest.
1: So how did you come up with the idea for More Than a Best Friend?
0: Well, I'd already written um, five, a series of five sort of kids books, but for adults too, um, books where I'd illustrated them and it, written little rhyming poems about different kinds of emotions that we go through because I'd had a really difficult time in my life and I wrote books that I needed for me and my child at the time. And uh, and I had this friend I used to mastermind with, um, and she had uh, pugs, she loved pugs, and she had about four pugs at one point, and I think she was down to two or three when I knew her, and a lot of them, most of them were special needs, so they were blind or deaf or couldn't walk, and um, she had this one pug who was 19, called Budda, who had been her kind of life partner for 19 years in some ways he had like taught her how what unconditional love was and when i was masterminding with her she kept going on because he was getting really close to his 19th birthday and she knew he was due to die any day soon and she talked a lot about how there was just nothing there for when a dog dies like there's there's not really anything that supports that by society And a a dog is like part of your family. I mean, 19 years is a long time to spend with an animal that is so unconditionally loving. And so she was the original inspiration, really. Her and Buddha were the original inspiration for this book, because I wanted to write a book that honored that relationship. And I'd had my own experience. Like, I've always been a cat person. I have cats. I've never... I've never really liked dogs and I was never really able to, I was very fearful of dogs most of my life. And and then a, f- a couple of years before I met this woman, I had had a, I'd had a dating experience with a gentleman who had like two huge dogs, like the hairiest, sort of dribbliest, like biggest, smelliest dogs you could ever imagine that would put the fear of God into me. But I actually... To me, they were such a gift. And I remember even before I met this guy saying to my friend, I feel like doggy medicine is coming into my life. And lo and behold, I meet this gentleman and these two dogs. And what actually happened was during our relationship, I mean, I really didn't have a relationship with a guy, but I had this most beautiful, loving, unconditional, loving relationship with these two dogs. And they were so loyal and they were so loving towards me. And I had never experienced anything like that before. And it really, really helped me heal like a lot of my inability to receive love. And when that relationship ended, I grieved the loss of these dogs so much. So I was really able to tap into that sentiment and feeling of like what it was what were the gifts these dogs gave me and what what it felt like to lose them and so more than a best friend is an exploration of that and an and a gift to my friend who lost her dog eventually but but it died about three months after it was published um, and just to all dog owners that have gone through the grief because i know many many dog owners that have gone through the grief of losing a dog and there just really isn't a space for it. And people who don't have dogs or haven't grieved a dog um, passing don't understand and they just think, oh, I'll get another dog. And, but it's so much harder than that. I mean, you share your life with these animals and they are so unconditionally loving. And so more than a best friend honors all of the gifts that our furry doggy friends can give us. And it's like an, an ode to the doggy medicine that they are like, which is just pure love and pure unconditional love.
1: Yeah, that's all really powerful. And I definitely know what you're saying with the unconditional love piece. My yeah. sister had a, uh, a pug and I, I knew that that dog was just unconditionally loving from the very start. And so I can certainly relate.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and I've written a lot about emotions in my other books and I've, dealed with grief as well and I just think it's such a sacred space that needs holding space for and there really isn't much out there that deals with grief and that deals with loss and that helps us as adults and as children uh, like come to terms with loss and move on and be able to find the gifts in it and be able to find that there's beauty in the pain and hurt as well
1: absolutely that's such a great point so many times we tend to focus on the positive the positive and brush aside the the things that you mentioned, like grief. So to bring attention to that is is really wonderful.
0: Yeah. And for me, um, like, I really believe that the suffering part of us, the part that really hurts the most, is like the inner child within us that didn't get the love or didn't feel supported or felt abandoned when they were little. Um, and so I write kids books but that are for adults because there's nothing there's nothing like when the minute we're hurt we kind of go into little frightened animal mode and we'll withdraw or we'll lash out or we withdraw or we'll lash out but it's a very frightened childlike state and so I feel that the way to talk to that is through Books that make us feel like a kid again, that bring us the comfort of like a comfort blanket and a hot chocolate and a cuddle. And so that's what all of my books do. They're all appealing to that child within us that's hurting. Absolutely. Or confused. Yeah.
1: That's such a good way to look at it.
0: Yeah. And the way they came about in the first place was I moved to Montreal five years ago with my son, who was five at the time and my husband at the time and within three months of moving like halfway across the world and changing our entire lives my marriage fell apart and we separated Um, and what happened was my son just went like he just was struggling so much his whole life had turned upside down He'd gone from like big house, two cars, garden, mum and dad together to like living in tiny little apartments, no garden, no cars, living in like the worst winter on record in 65 years. So it was like four weeks of minus 30 or something stupid. Um, And talking this whole different language as well, like the French um, culture. And he just didn't know how to cope. And then Meanwhile, he's turning to me and looking to me for answers and I didn't have any and I felt just as lost and frightened as he did. And it was like, he's like, I want my mummy to fix this. And I'm like, I want my mummy to fix this. <laughs> and, and it was and like realizing my mummy wasn't coming, <coughs> excuse me, realizing my mummy wasn't going to come. And and that, oh, holy moly, I'm the adult now. I'm the mummy. I've got to kind of deal with this. And the way we dealt with it was through Doctor Seuss' "Oh the Places You Go," hmm. and that book became like our bible. Like I, I cried myself through that book nearly every night for six months with my son. And, but that was the only book that there really was available to us. There wasn't really any help like to kind of get both of us through this state of feeling like this lost, abandoned child. And so I ended up writing the books that. I needed then, So my first five books that I did are just an exploration of loss, of love, of finding joy again, of personal growth, and just all of the emotions that come up. And they are the kids' books that I needed as an adult and that I needed with my son and that we could share together and kind of process all of the grief in our life.
1: Yeah, that's that's really powerful. And would you say that your son now is feeling a little bit better about living in Canada and so forth?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, five years on and like both of us are thriving and I, I attribute it to the fact that we had this sort of, I was able to dig into the child in me and kind of go through the grieving with him as he's going through it. And so like, I, I never, I'm always a believer in leaning into the difficult times and leaning into the hurt and the pain because Only when we lean into it do we find the gifts, do we find the personal growth. And now I see this beautiful creative being who is, he's seeing me doing what I love and doing the creativity that I was, I had given up on. I mean, writing kids books and illustrating them myself was such a distant dream that I'd had as a child and had, had never even dared to believe I could do until I found myself in this situation as a 36 year old sort of in a heap on the floor. And it was, then I was like, I can do this. This is like, I need to do this. This is my work.
1: Yeah. That is uh, very powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so blessed. So Sorry.
1: Oh no, absolutely. I was just going to say that, um, it's really great that you through that suffering and pain, you were able to really transform it and bring yourself and your son into a much better state.
0: Yeah. And I really believe that when we like, we have this in it, we, we all are innately creative and when we can tap into that innate creativity, then we can heal and we are connected to source energy then, and then the healing comes. So to me, my healing is very much entwined with my writing and with my art and with my illustration, because it was through tapping into that innate creativity within me, I was able to see the bigger picture and I was able to see the healing.
1: That's such a good point. Yeah. So Shirley, you uh, you host your own podcast called This Artful Life podcast. Tell me about your show.
0: I do, yeah. So it's a uh, pretty new. It's a little baby that's just starting to grow. And my my story is, I did a degree in fine art, like at university, and graduated when in 1999. And then I was always told I would never make money for my art. And and as I said, I had these dreams of writing. And, and as a kid, all I did was write and draw. And I left university and was told I would never make money for my art. So I just kind of believed it. And I went into corporate world and just had an admin job. And then one day I discovered homeopathy and I ended up spending eight years training to be a a professional homeopath in England. And so this introduced me to this whole new way of looking at life as energy and as, and seeing the energy medicine in all that is. And and then one thing led to another and I moved to Canada and I couldn't practice homeopathy anymore. And, that's, and then I ended up sitting on a park bench completely lost and then was guided to start drawing. And this is how I tapped back into my creativity. And what I've realized is that there is this thread, in, like golden thread in everything that I've ever done, which is, is about connecting to the innate creative child within us. And that is being like the connection directly to God or source energy or whatever it is you believe in, like the bigger, the bigger energy force, life force that flows through everything. And when we tap into that and then we bring full creative expression of ourselves, then we can lead this really joyful, beautiful life that comes from deep within us and isn't external to us. So this Artful Life podcast is all about exploring this, how we can tap into our creativity, how we can nurture our inner creative child, and how we can live a more creative, artful, joyful life.
1: That's really good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Shirley, you mentioned that growing up, you were always into creative writing and illustration, And you talked about how um, you kind of rekindled that during kind of a crisis moment. Yes. And you talked about the golden thread. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'd
1: like to hear more about your thoughts and how that golden thread kind of tied all the way back to when you were young and you just started out with creative writing.
0: Well, my childhood, if I look back to it, and try and think of the memories of it was mostly I have memories, many memories of sitting under the dining room table that was at the back of our living room. um, Often with a blanket draped over it so that it was like a little fort and writing little poems and rhymes and stories and talking to my cuddly animals, like my little soft toys. And that was my experience of childhood and I remember I also had we had a garden shed that was like a a play den and that was also a little space I would go there was some old mattresses in there and I'd light a little candle and I'd sit in there when it was raining and I would just I would just write and I would draw pictures of animals and it was so funny when I came to Montreal and I'd had been in this really dark space and I found myself just sort of sitting in little corners of my house, like doodling and drawing and starting to write again and starting to write little stories. And it was almost like they were not coming from me, but through me. And so I would—I remember this one story that I'm still writing and I've literally just agreed to work with a new editor on it because I I really want to bring this project to fruition. But there's a story that was coming to me almost like a paragraph at a time and there would be like it was like a spider's web it would be like one one strand over here there would be a paragraph and then there'd be another strand going in a different direction with a different paragraph and a different character and it was like I had all these little characters and bits of stories and I had, couldn't work out how to weave them together yet and I believe that maybe it's because I hadn't got all the missing pieces yet and so my whole creative life has been like that there has been the fine art, and I did illustration um textiles and illustration when I was doing my fine art degree and I illustrated a whole series about Jonathan Livingston Siegel because it was all about coming home to ourselves and enlightenment and Jonathan Livingston Siegel to me was the embodiment of that like he learned how to fly and he learned how to soar above the normal and to keep elevating himself into new higher dimensions and this you know so even back when I was 17 this story like grasped my my soul there was just something about this story and then as I went and did the homeopathy journey you know this other healing thread came in and with my books it's the same it's like about healing and about finding the gifts in the emotion that help us elevate ourselves above where we were and help us do embody more enlightenment and come more into ourselves. And so this golden thread that runs through everything I do is all about incorporating the light and dark in ourselves and bringing light to the darkness so that we can heal and be a better version of ourselves.
1: Absolutely. And Shirley, England is such a rich place for authors and books and stories just going all the way back Shakespeare and even beyond that growing up in England were there any authors that you particularly admired
0: well still to this day A.A. A. Milne who wrote Winnie the Pooh Winnie the Pooh I mean and again like most of my favorite books are children's books because to me like Winnie the Pooh encapsulates like humanity Like his animals, uh, you know, each animal is a character in his own right that I could identify in my life, in my working life. You know, we've all had a rabbit in our lives. We've all had an owl in our lives. Um, We've all had an Eeyore come into our lives at various points. And so to me, A.A. Milne was such a treasure. And and it was read to me repeatedly. It was me and my brother and my sisters. My mum would read to us every night. Over and over again, we always came back to Winnie the Pooh because it was just such a favorite and she was such an amazing reader of it. And it was so beautiful to share it with my son. Only a couple of years ago and for ages, like for me, I was always really angry at Disney because they ruined it and they made Winnie the Pooh for like toddlers and really young children. And when they did that, they took away all of the gifts that Winnie the Pooh is because kids that age don't get the subtleties of the characters and they don't get the subtlety of the humour. And so I kept my son completely away from Winnie the Pooh until he was like eight or nine. And then we read it and then he was able to really giggle along and find the humour in it. So Winnie the Pooh was a great favourite of mine. And then I also I remember had this little book called The Doll's House about this little Doll that lived in a house, and there was other dolls, and they had all these little adventures and There was just something about this story that always kept me coming back to it and it be and I think it was because as well, there was really dark times in this- in this little doll house, so it was this idyllic little Victorian doll house, but one of the dolls was really evil, and one another doll like like she set this other doll on fire, <laughs> it sounds like it didn't it didn't shy away from the darkness of life. And I think that that's something that has always been something that I hold dear is, and, and that, uh, the, again, is part of my golden thread. It's not running away from the darkness of life. It's turning directly towards it and leaning into it to find where the gifts are and to bring light to what's there.
1: Absolutely. And that's such a powerful message. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Winnie the Pooh being your inspiration because when I wrote my first book, um, as a 12 year old, Winnie the Pooh was, um, also one of my inspirations for putting that together as a young kid.
0: Wow. Yeah. I just, I think there's so many gifts in that book.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Just the, and like you said, it's so relatable because all the characters kind of embody that You know, we know the Eeyores, we know the Tiggers, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really amazing in that respect.
0: Yeah. Oh, I have a good question for you. (laughs) (laughs) If you would, who would you uh, relate most to in Winnie the Pooh? Like, who do you see yourself as?
1: Wow, that's a good question. (laughs) Well, I, I definitely, my younger self would relate to Rabbit. Mm. And it's funny you mention that or ask that because um, when my sister was graduating from college, um, I'm a couple years older than her. I gave her a stuffed animal of Winnie the Pooh rabbit. um, It's kind of like a symbol of me kind of like being that older, older sibling who's kind of watching out for the younger siblings. So.
0: Oh, wonderful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks for asking that.
0: <laughs> it's a good thing to ponder. <laughs> I think I'd be across between Piglet, Roo and Tigger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good co- yeah, it's a good point. Uh, co- combining the characters is uh is definitely an option too. Yeah. <laughs> having having a piece of Tigger is always a plus in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> So Shirley, tell me about your writing routine. Do you like quiet living rooms, coffee shops? How do you like to write?
0: (laughs) Okay, so it's it's fairly sporadic because um, I'm actually a channel. So I I channel what comes through me. Um, I do this with my painting. I do this with my illustrations. It's like every animal I illustrate has a life of its own. And it's like, I literally sit, I can almost sit back and watch my hand painting as this animal comes to life that I'm like, oh, (laughs) like I'm surprised to see because it's, it, it feels like it comes through me. And so very much the same in my writing is it, it seems to come through me. So I have written one book sat on the floor in my living room. I have written another book sat in a coffee shop, um, I've, sat, I've done another one, sat at my desk. And it, like each book in its own right has its own way of coming into life. And so that's been really fascinating for me to see that process because I've now written and illustrated six books. Like seeing how each of them has had its own life force. And that, again, it really makes me realize that our creations aren't of us. They are just through us. And it's it's almost like the ideas are entities in their own right, and they flit around and they land on lots of people. And it's whoever will run with that idea, the idea stays with. And so, I know I've had lots and lots and lots of ideas, and they've just I haven't you know I've held on to them for a little bit, but they've just not been the right ones for me. But the ones that have landed on me, and I just I, it's almost like there's this instant moment of just knowing okay, I've got to do this. This is, this is my work now. And then, and then watching, almost getting out of my own way to see how that story or how that picture brings itself to life.
1: That, um, that way of looking at it um, is truly uh, something that I've, I've never really thought of in that way. And I think you're absolutely right that it's not so much the writing routine as it is allowing the writing routine to be adaptive from whatever the idea wants it to be.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, and I also think that every writer has their own, their own way as well. Like I know people that they need to get up at five o'clock and they need to do two hours of writing before they start their day. And that's how they write. Now, I could never do that. I am, I am A, not that disciplined. I am B, just would rather sleep. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also really lazy. Like to me, that feels like hard work, which feels like instant resistance, which feels like the idea, like to write that book would be a slog for me. But for the person I know that does that, that's when she is 100% connected to her source energy and how, how it flows for her. And so again, it's like honoring how that in a, in a creative being in ourselves works best. I mean, a lot of my ideas come in the middle of the night and I actually now have a, you know, I'll often just say like, can you, can, can you just remind me of that in the morning? Like I need to sleep <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> like great idea. I'm really grateful for it. I'm not getting out of bed and writing it because I've got to get up in the morning with my son. So just, bring it back to me and and it's quite funny you know I can almost hear my spirit guides giggling and and they'll do it and I'll remember and then (laughs) knowing that like if I'm meant to remember it I will Mm. so if I'm out and about and I get this awesome idea and I can't write it down or I you know it's like instead of panicking and trying to hold on to it I just let it go and know that if it's meant to come back it will come back or it will stay absolutely Yeah, I I think trusting our own internal relationship to that creative source is the most important thing.
1: Absolutely. Just uh, having the faith that the ideas are going to come through when they need to come through.
0: Yeah, and it takes courage. You know, I've actually written a course for creativity, for like creating your stuff, because to me it was like, I didn't have anyone holding my hand when I first, when I wrote my first book and I didn't really understand the process of how, how many times resistance shows up in the writing process and how often like, you know, I can be in the middle of a, of a painting or in the middle of writing and literally go to the bathroom and come back and it can be feeling like I'm starting all over again with a blank piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And so knowing where those little hazards are and and also knowing that like before before we start a creative project or like before we you know when we have this idea inside us of something that we want to write a story we want to bring to life or whatever creativity it is we can feel wretched utterly wretched before we agree to take that on and it's like in my mental group, we say we dip low before we grow. And it's almost like the idea comes. And until we pick it up and run with it, if it's, if it's a really big idea and it's for us, until we pick it up and run with it, there's so much fear and so much resistance and life will throw drama and everything your way to kind of stop you picking up that, that idea and running with it.
1: Yep. I can relate to that. <laughs>
0: yeah, because it, apparently, like I read somewhere, like creativity has it—it it has the ability to produce nausea in us. Just there's as, as much as like any other fear, because it's it's entering into the unknown. Mm. And I think that when we can detach from the story thinking it's ours and it's our baby and it's, this is, you know, this is my idea and I'm bringing it to life. If, when we can detach ourselves from it and know that this idea is almost like its own living entity and that it just uses us as a means to be made manifest, then we're much more able to navigate all of the ups and downs of creating
1: Yes, uh, that's definitely a very big lesson for all artists and writers out there and I know that I myself had to fight that lesson to come to a, to that realization myself. So mm. the earlier you can grapple with that one I say do your best.
0: <laughs> yeah. And to me it's all about kind of getting ourselves out of the way. Yep. Like, this isn't about us. This is bigger than us. And I think if if we if we live in this ego state of, I am a writer, like, we're just going to get tripped up over and over and over again. And if we can just be, like, remove our ego from it and just be, you know, Randy Whiteside or Shirley Harvey and that this just happens to be something that is what, one thing that comes through us, then we just, it just makes that whole process so much easier. And, you know, and I have seen people who are their egos are so involved in this identity of being a writer or being a musician or being an artist, that it's torture. And when they come to share their stuff, it's just torture, because they are so identified with it, that any, any kind of Expectation, like all the expectations, are on them, not on the actual book itself. Mm-hmm. And so, I really believe that, like you know, when we can embody this idea that the idea, the ideas come through us, and we are just the channel for them, then we have more freedom, and we're far more able to share what it is we're doing, and and affect and help people, and and change people's lives with what we're creating.
1: Absolutely. And I think you really, when you said, you know, share with other people, I think that's kind of the the crux of it is being able to kind of give of that um, in that manner. Yeah. So Shirley, what inspires you to continue writing?
0: Um all the ideas knocking at my door. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I consider myself a prolific creator of everything. Like I don't, you know. As I've said, I said, I'm I'm an artist as well as an illustrator and a writer. Um, and ideas just come to me. And as I say, some ideas don't go away. Some sit there just knocking at my door, like <laughs> my subconscious, every now and then. Um. I had plans. It's quite funny because after I wrote the doggy book, I was I was convinced I was going to write a cat version of this book, and the cat version never happened. Um, another book hasn't come since "More Than a Best Friend," which I actually wrote last December. But I've I've created so much other stuff and written so much other stuff since then, like programs and courses for my um, for my business and. Done I've done my artwork. So for me now it's quite interesting. I'd already said quarter two is gonna like this year is dedicated to writing again. And I found an editor who I really want to work with, and I've I've I booked her and I don't really know what I'm gonna work with her on yet, but I know that I have two or three books and story ideas that I never brought forward from two or three years ago. So I think you know, for me, it's uh, for me again, it's this, it, it's this exciting journey I'm on of discovery. And it's, it's to me, it's like following the breadcrumb trail of curiosity. Yep. And, and, and then that one, you know, it's like you follow your curiosity in one direction, and then it leads to another crumb of curiosity. And before you know it, you've ended up with a story. That's right. Yeah. And so to me, it's this beautiful little discovery trail and, and it's, there is just this compelling force in me to keep at it, to keep creating. And to me, it's like one thing after another comes into my consciousness and says like, I want this to be made manifest now.
1: Absolutely. In fact, um, with, with each podcast show, I end it by saying stay inquisitive.
0: Ah, oh, yes.
1: Which, curiosity, it's, it's the driver. And like you said, those breadcrumbs, it, it leads to a bigger story.
0: Absolutely. And I remember, you know, I've, I've done a lot of studying of joyfulness and, and spirituality and people saying, like, follow the breadcrumb trail of joy, you know, and like, what brings you joy? What brings you passion? And to me, that always seems too big. Like, and if I'm not in a state of joy, I don't know, I don't know what brings joy, but I always know what brings curiosity. I always know, no matter what emotional state I'm in, there might be something I'm curious about.
1: Yeah, that's such a good way to look at it. And I I totally agree that whenever I've heard people say, you know, what brings you joy and so forth, I too kind of thought that that was just a little bit too grandiose. Yes. And to look at it in the way of just kind of simplifying it down to just what are you curious about, yeah. uh, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And then when we do that, it's, we tap into that creativity inside us. And that's, that's what brings joy. Like when we start following that breadcrumb trail of curiosity and we start following our little hunches here, there, and everywhere before we know it, we are feeling joy. And it's not coming from outside of us. It's coming from within. So to me, the breadcrumb trail of joy doesn't exist. The breadcrumb trail of curiosity exists. And then that always leads us straight into a state of joy.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I really like how you said how the, the joy comes from the inside and not the outside.
0: Yeah. Well, my, first, my first book I wrote was called Joy. And is, I, I had a huge depression after my marriage split up and i'd moved to montreal and i mean i was suicidal it was i'd had five years of postnatal depression and i'd moved overseas my marriage had broken up i just was completely lost and i i i was it was you know it was either die or find a way to like take the next breath and i remember just thinking you know i have this choice And so I pulled my computer towards me and I googled ways to be happy. And then I tried anything and everything that I could find. And so joy is a collection of the 12 things I did that got me back to a state of joy deep inside myself. And so I wrote this book. And it was so funny because the first time I wrote joy, it was this really boring book, like, like for an adult. It was a Boring adult book, but yet I'd illustrated it with all these little animals doing human things. And I remember, like, six months after I'd written it, like, oh my God, I need to write this as like a kid's book. This needs to be little poems that you can, so you can open the book and just instantly find the right poem page you need, like the little thing that will lift you up for that day. So almost like you would pull an Oracle card. It's like a little book of wisdom that you just open on the pa- on any random page and just know that the message you're going to get is what you need.
1: Yeah. That sounds like an amazing project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, and even to this day, I, I've, I've actually just written a course of the book. So there's, it will, cause I also still work with lots of people on a, you know on a base like healing basis and so I've written these courses where people can go through the steps and stuff but I turned the book joy back into a course so like they now they now can have like video tutorage like just and feeling like they're just being held more deeply Hmm. to come back to joy because joy isn't outside of us that's right It's like we can enjoy things that happen in our lives and enjoy experience, but a state of joy comes when we are lost in the moment writing or we are lost in the moment painting or we are lost in the sound of the music we're listening to. That's pure joy. It's like that connection to source and in the creative child.
1: So did you have any mentors that helped you along your writing journey?
0: So I've always had mentors in a bigger capacity, but not specifically for writing. Sure. And it's, it's interesting, actually, that I would say writing is one of the areas that I have the least confidence in. I know I can write beautifully and I know I can write be- like really poignantly. But it is an area that I still don't fully um, feel 100% confident in. Like you give me paint, paint and paper or canvas, I can paint anything. I know I can. But I still have this fear around writing it's like can I can I really write that <laughs> <laughs> but I like that you know like I, and I, I I like it's it's nice not to know everything isn't it it's nice to kind of feel that there's this like area that's still a challenge because it makes me want to dive into it it makes me you know I've, I've had a while of running away from it and now I'm ready to like kind of go back to it and sort of dive back in
1: yeah It all comes back to that curiosity and staying curious about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's interesting because my last book that we talked about first, More Than a Best Friend, has very few words. And so there was this part of me that's like, well, it's not really writing. There's hardly any words, but the words that are in there are so poignant. Like people describe that book as heartbreaking over and over again to me, which doesn't sound like a good selling point for a book, but, for me, that's exactly what the book's doing. It's like cracking open your heart to the grief that's inside, because that's what needs to be brought light to. It's Absolutely. like we can't stuff that down anymore. So if I if someone describes that book as heartbreaking, it's like yay, because we break all the all the constructs around our heart that stop our heart being beautiful and open and loving and vulnerable.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like that that book's a real service
0: yeah and i think that's you know every book i've written has been a it, it is of service and a lot of them have been written for me they were the books i needed for me and my kids during the really difficult times now i know i'm not the only woman or man i mean i'm not a man but you know <laughs> like i'm not the only person parent who has been through a separation and a life changing event and watch their kids fall apart and feel that they're falling apart too. You know, I know I'm not the only person that's had that experience. So the fact that I wrote a book that serves me in that, I know that they, it serves others.
1: Absolutely. So Shirley, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? Who's just starting out as a writer or an illustrator?
0: Oh, (laughs) hello. Younger version of me. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I would say that you will feel scared, you will feel alone, you will feel wretched and terrified. And the only way to feel good is to take the steps and to just do the work. And so however you feel, just lean into that and then take the steps anyway. Pick up that pen, put it to paper and just believe that you are chosen to do this. This, you know, this idea has landed on you because it knows that you can bring it into manifestation and that your own unique expression of that is perfect and needed in every way. Beautiful. Yeah. It's a good question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. And where can listeners find your books, your courses and your artwork?
0: Uh, So I'm shirleyharvey.com, and there are links to everything there. I have the art shop. I have the link to the podcast. I have all of my books linked to Amazon. So my books are all on Amazon. My podcast is on iTunes and Spotify and Google. Um, But you can find out more about me, shirleyharvey.com.
1: Excellent. And we've got your website linked up on the Creative Writing Magic website and our Twitter feed.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: So, Shirley, before we close the show, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share?
0: Hmm. I just think that if you are starting this journey or even if you're anywhere along this path and at all at any point it feels difficult, lean into that because that's where the beauty is. That's where the magic is. And, And we don't feel necessarily amazing once we've finished. It's like the joy and the beauty is in the creation. And so if we can allow that creative phase, like when we, when we bring this to life, to just be as it is in this beautiful, creative expression of ourselves and of whatever wants to be made manifest, then that's where the joy is. That's where the beauty is. And that's where the magic is.
1: Love it. Okay, so that's all the time we have for today. Shirley, thanks so much for being a guest on the show.
0: Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome.
1: Yep, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you, listener. You make this all possible. If you like this podcast, feel free to support us on Patreon and consider subscribing. The link to Patreon is in the description. Also, if you're an aspiring writer and would like to learn more about writing coaching services, contact us on the Creative Writing Magic website at creativewritingmagic.com. And also, be sure to subscribe to the email newsletter to receive email notifications when new episodes are available. And as always, thanks so much for listening, stay inquisitive, support the arts, and keep creating. Bye for now.